Welcome to What's Korean Cinema 23 on Madame Ama. So, sexual awakening after a lifeless marriage. Is this an excuse for TNA or an attempt to deconstruct matters in a mature and adult erotic way? Well, we'll see what 1982's Madame Ama holds. And this is the first out of 11 movies in the series. Jeez. Like, uh, Korea's breaking breaking records here, but at any rate, we'll get into it. I'm gonna be with me to review and give context to this landmark Korean adult dramatic movie. Is Hangul Celluloid's Paul Quinn, so welcome and good afternoon, buddy. Good afternoon, you and everybody else. Before we get going, uh, pardon me if I haven't followed this closely. You know I love you, but I, I can't keep up with social media all the time. Have you been celebrating? Well, yeah, because no one can and won't uh, uh, follow my smut and understand that, like my crumb of smut. But uh, you've been posting stuff about, uh, is it a site birthday? It is a site birthday. As of Wednesday just gone. My site is eight years old and just starting its ninth year. So, wow, congratulations. You know, I hit that whole thing of in the middle of the week thinking, right, I need to uh, celebrate in some way. And I've had so much to do that I ended up just focusing on the Korea trip again because I wanted to focus on the Korea trip again. So, you know, without like uh, dismissing anything that happened in the eight years, but uh, was the, you know, is this the highlight or do you like rank meeting? you know, direct some directors and stars so over the course of eight years a higher than a trip? I, I rank meeting numerous directors and some stars really highly, but nothing, nothing comes close. You know, it was the best 10 days of my life, he said, pushing it to the boundaries. You know, Korea was just, you know, I've been doing this for eight years and I only managed to go to Korea last year. Yeah, the biggest thing ever. It really doesn't say anything about any bad thing about you. Sometimes timing is what it is, and I think it was splendid timing. Uh, when all like all stars aligned, kind of thing. Like you, the work you did along the way generated that invitation, man. Totally, totally, and you know it. It all adds up, and there were a lot of there were things that went on when I was out there that I didn't actually cover because they weren't related to film, and I'll only talk about film, but. You know, I met Sister, a K-pop group, and people that are not into K-pop would say, oh, God. And from my point of view, it was just they're really famous, they're really cute. And they're really not very very much dressed at any point during the stage performance. Is it one, is it one those kind of uh, groups? Pretty much so, you know. Uh, it's commercialism. I'm not blaming you, but it's commercialism. Even going to the Korean folk village and seeing where, you know, all the Joseon area dramas, films were made, face reader, everything else. It was like stepping onto a film set. So it, it, there was just so much that you couldn't beat it. If I went again, I couldn't beat it. Is that um, like just to give an approximation of geography? Like, do you need to travel from, like, when you land in the urban center of Seoul or whatever, do you need to travel like hours to get to the countryside or is it sort of close proximity? Not at all. I mean, it's a small, it's about the size of Ireland. Uh-huh. You know, it's. <laughs> Any journey, I mean, we we started in Busan at the film festival and we had to travel to Seoul, which is, you know, a few hours away on a coach. But really, it's almost like a longish journey. It's not, you're not like traveling across the country, even though you are. Um, it's, it's small enough that anywhere you need to go, it's a little right away and you could do it in the morning or afternoon or whatever. So Wonderful, wonderful. Well, uh, I hope you get to travel back soon enough and uh, since we have mentioned your site and your birthday you're welcome to plug your stuff so url and uh, name and purpose 
My name is Paul. As hopefully a lot of you know, I run the Korean film website, hangulcelluloid.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash hangulcelluloid. You can find me on Twitter at, at hangulcelluloid. You find the site itself at hangulcelluloid.com. There you go. Come and see me. Excellent, excellent. And uh, the rest of the contact information goes as follows. What's Korean cinema? This is uh, that very show where we asked that question. Again, track it back to a very mature joke when I was in late 20s. That's when I did my immature jokes about Korean cinema. And then I sort of turned that around and helped create this show. Because it was sort of a Stuart's idea to get the ball rolling with episodes on My Sassy Girl and Welcome to Dong Makgol and things like that. And here we are, Paul, uh, you know, uh, 20 episodes or so later in terms of your participation. So uh, it's, all, it's all good. I enjoy it very much. And this is all located on the Podcast on Fire network. And our website is podcastonfire.com. You have plenty of choices uh, because we cover Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, and Sleazy cinema, and even ninja action cinema, and things like that. So make your choice. And you can also go to the bonus episode section if you if you want to, because we put up some quality work there as well that are that is exclusive to the website. Our email is podcastonfire at googlemail.com. So send us uh, any questions or feedback. We would love to hear from you. If you follow the handy buttons at the top of our website, you'll get the lead to Facebook, which in turn could could and will lead you to our Facebook group where we have uh, plenty of uh, fun discussion and show updates. And uh, there's a handy button to our Twitter account as well, to our iTunes feed, which you can subscribe to rate with a little staffingy and even leave a comment uh, on the feed we would very much appreciate that and there's also a button to our stitcher radio presence Uh, they have a website where you can stream our shows and there's also an application available on the apple app store and google play and my review website doesn't feature korea a whole lot mostly in terms of when there's an odd like hong kong taiwanese movie that went to korea to shoot which I, i gotta tell you paul is one of my favorite settings in, in particular, 70s martial arts movies. These uh, te- temples in Korea, they're really picturesque. And also, the landscape is often, the of- landscape they often favor is a bit winter in quality, a bit cold in quality. Not meaning cold as in dull, but just a bit more gritty, which I like. Uh, m- yeah, movies yeah. like uh, Secret Rivals uh, were shot in Korea, I think part of possibly it just felt like korea uh, maybe it's not because so i'm just gonna take a shot in the dark where jimmy wang Yu movie the chinese boxer had a, at least a snow type of ending totally looked like korea to me but, yeah uh, no I have, I have a feeling you're right actually so uh, I, I always enjoy that little korean tint that i can present on my website so goodreviews.com and my video hub for select video reviews of my work is lisakvideo.com and my twitter handle is at so good reviews so that's us for contact information, and we're going to give you a rundown of what's to come in this episode on Madame Ama. Uh, we have some brief sections before the review, but uh, we'll post running times nonetheless uh, in the show post for your reference, and those should turn up in your podcast application as well. So first, we'll discuss some background information on the movie at hand, with notes in particular regarding censorship or lack of it in Korea, because at one point it sort of went away, and it, all, all the restrictions were a lot uh, a lot uh, milder. There's some brief notes uh, to follow on director of the movie, Jong In Job, afterwards, and then we conclude with the review of the movie. So it's one movie and some content before it uh, for uh, maybe an hour's worth of uh, chat uh, and context and 
maybe even some fun along the way. We'll see. But oh, yeah. plot, plot, oh yeah, Madame Ama, fun in a fun in a movie, <laughs> like a love riot, kind yeah. of. Yeah, <laughs> no. mm, kind of. But anyway, a plot from Wikipedia, who kept it. Well, Wikipedia didn't keep it really simple. Wikipedia spoils the movie <laughs> in two sentences. <laughs> As it often does. Like, normally it's a, a paragraph of stuff, da 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 and then that happens at the end. Here's, like, two sentences, and that spoils the entire movie. So I kept it really simple, took one sentence from them, and I think it's fair towards the movie. So, here we go. While her husband is in prison, the character of Oh Soo-bi, played by An Soo-yong, engages in extramarital affairs. And that's her journey. Through that kind of thing. Kind of sums it up anyway. And this is quoted as the first erotic film to be made after South Korea's government were loosening up their control and censorship of the film industry. And it always engages me a lot that this is this comes and goes throughout the decade. Some years it's super strict. Some years yeah, yeah. it's uh, loosey-goosey and uh, you, can do, you can do more. We don't care. I could do, just adhere to our looser demands. So... But it all needs to be contextualized, of course. Uh, we're not just talking uh, this era didn't define it for forever and ever. It's been different throughout the era. So what was it like before 1982 when Madame Ema was like? I mean, was it extremely rigorous? Like, could you have romantic content like kissing, excessive violence? And, and if you think of that and then think of what got through post this decision to begin letting reins go. It's a really long journey, as you can imagine. I mean, if you if you think back to the 60s with the housemaid and insect woman, Kim Ki Young, etc., etc., things were really, really strict. You could barely not show kissing. You couldn't show scenes of people grappling together. They'd, the camera would move off to the side, etc., etc. And there was the whole idea. It was constantly women... Indulging in sex outside marriage was going to end the world. It was going to destroy families. It was going to destroy men. Men were saps who just couldn't help but want sex all the time. But if a woman gave it to them outside marriage, she was, you know, the devil. Um, That was essentially it. Up until the restrictions slightly lifted after the Guangzhou uprising um, in 1980. And there were erotic ish films, but if you take films like The Eunuch or Suddenly at Midnight, any sex scenes would have vases in place to cover body parts. And I'm sure that was the same in, in numerous cultures. Yeah, yeah. You just think of uh, Japan, uh, you know, they, they could shoot, shoot like breasts, but uh, anything uh, never regions, uh, never region related, they, they always have something in the way or um, pixelated, uh, pixelated never regions in Japan. Totally. And, and I mean, the only real example I can think of of proper nudity, you know, a nipple or whatever was Insect Woman, which was sort of late late 60s. And it was a flash, you know, you would have had to have paused it to even get it. It was just during a fight between a man and a woman and (laughs) her top gets pulled aside and it's gone. How they got away with that, I don't know, because things were really strict at that stage. But that was essentially it. It was vases, boxes, cabinets in the way. Any sexual content, the camera would move aside and look at shadows or look out the window. After Guangzhou, after there was the whole uprising, they sort of started to ease things 
simply because they were having to com- start to compete with Hollywood and things, films like Emmanuel, which we'll probably mention as we go on, were becoming popular and people were going to see these these Hollywood movies and not going to see Korean films. It was inevitable they were going to try and loosen it up just to revitalize the, the industry. That's not a bad thing, actually, to to like to enhance commercialism and let go things that aren't really hurtful for the Korean people and mindset. You know, nudity is not something that will corrupt our children or anything like so. Totally. That's like a good buy, uh, like side effect to uh, these uh, restrictions being lifted. You know, and I mean, the, the, the other side of it is while they were doing that, there was this whole... In the 70s, they brought in this revitalization where every film that was made had to up the Korean people, the Korean government. It couldn't say anything, polit- you know, political, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, and that led to the whole melodrama thing. We, we know all that. But even after the restrictions, it was years before women that had stepped out of line, that had gone and done their own thing, ended happily. You know, um, I'm not giving anything away about Madame Ema, but it wasn't until I think 1996, I think it was 96, where there was a film called The Adventures of Mrs. Park. She's a philandering little lady. And that was the first film where the character didn't end somewhat badly, somewhat unhappily because of what she'd done. You know, so it's been a long, long, long journey. Still, uh, I mean, maybe in 2016, we're not going to have this flip-flop in what type of strict or, or not strict censorship uh, flavor of <laughs> flavor of the year. I think we've pretty much gone beyond that. And it, 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 it now comes down to, is it a good story with nudity or is it just bloody nudity yeah, with, exactly. with a terrible story, you know, so... But the government did involve itself uh, or the censorship board uh, to an extent or, or in terms of Madame Ema, and it seems like they rationally thought out what they um, didn't like. You know, they didn't do the whole thing, oh, banned for children. You know, they didn't do that because what apparently happened, the characters did not want the characters in the title uh, being translated as or read as horse loving lady <laughs> which is connects to the movie they changed it to um, a translation that could be hemp loving lady which doesn't make sense because i don't remember a lot of smoking in the movie but uh, i might be rem- remembering wrong but uh, it's it's sort of what they they wanted the sort of animal connection sexually to be out of the title at least it's in the movie totally and you know for anybody listening to this that hasn't yet seen it that whole thing of horse-loving lady, what the hell? One of my favorite scenes in the whole film is the scene that explains why she's a horse-loving lady. It's it's just, it's beautiful. And it's it's almost a, a lovely little advertisement for hair shampoo, if you like, that yep. you see on the TV. It's Very just, so. it's wonderful. It gives me a giggle every time I watch it. Both characters, apparently, in the title, are pronounced Ema Bion, which could track back, according to my research, to the French erotic film Emmanuel, which had been popular in Korea. So, you know, is that ever at all close to how Emmanuel was translated into Korean, uh, you know, the, that title, and then when it got translated? Yeah, it's this whole Bion thing. It's hemp, it's horse, it, it, at times it can be Rottweiler, it can be feisty so the whole emmanuel thing of you know the feisty woman looking after her own sexual 
things, mm-hmm. it all sort of fits together. The only thing that really changed was the Chinese characters. Um, I don't know anything about Chinese writing, as we you know spoke before we came online here, but you can actually see a difference in it, whereas in the Korean, it's just Amabian. It's just the way it is. And it covers a multitude of sins, really. I never saw that uh, manual, so, you know, was that completely different or could, in terms of plotting, do you know, uh, versus Madame Ama? I'm not saying it's a remake of a manual, but or was it more light and fluffy? So do you know anything about when uh, that movie? The moment you start to watch Madame Ama, if you've seen a manual, it'll come to mind. There's a the very first scene where the credits are going up and her hair is blowing in the wind and there's there's that sort of 80s music, blah, 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 that just screams Emmanuel, you know, right the way through. Okay, he relates it to Korea, but it is an Emmanuel movie. It really is. And in terms of the early Emmanuel movies, the eroticism, the the content, pretty similar. Yeah, it's, it was one of those things I knew, the, I, I've known the name throughout the years, but I, I, like watching it, how, how silly that might sound, might sound, it never like appealed to me to sit down and watch it like oh my, oh my god like uh, this is a... they're mostly terrible right 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 there you go it's a, a more, like more of a com- commercial splash than anything else yeah totally it's just it's that that whole oh look it looks beautiful and oh look a breast they're they're very predictable and very very bad stories but that's that's my take uh, so with this freedom uh, Madame Ama went on to become a hit and uh, you know, was considered um, by some the most sexually explicit South Korean film made in the 80s. Uh, and, but, you know, he wasn't alone. He, you know, he did spark a wave with either good or bad imitations or good or bad you know, stories uh, with sexually explicit uh, content. And I read that director Lee Do-young's 1986 movie Mulberry could be argued to have you know, a, a status in the, this whole, like, explicit 80s Korean movies. Um, that, like, like we wouldn't have Madame Ama, uh, we wouldn't have Mulberry without Madame Ama. So, like, yeah. you know, is Mulberry a completely different beast, a copy? Is it any better? Is it any worse? It's miles better. It's it's nowhere near a copy. If you look at... The thing that struck me re-watching Madame Ama is how much it sits with the sort of golden age acting style. It's all very demonstrative, very straight speaking all the time, you know, hand to forehead, etc., etc. When you switch just a couple of years later to Mulberry, it's much more like contemporary cinema. You know, it starts with a feisty woman whose husband goes off gambling, who's left on her own, and she's just yelling at him. She just goes on and on and on and on. And it's so natural in comparison. Is it more explicit in terms of nudity? Yeah. I mean, because uh, Madame Ama barely has any. It's, it's almost accidental here as well. Oop, I saw a nipple from within the shot. There's a, a really strange thing because you, you yourself said a lot of people consider Madame Ama the most explicit movie of the 80s. And I think a lot of that comes from people reviewing it as, you know, it's hype and not actually having paid attention to what else was going on because it's not really explicit there are a little flash here and there but if you compare that to mulberry mulberry is miles ahead the the main character Amy Suk, um who's 
massive star from all those years ago to now. I mean, she's she's still acting. She was an actress, et cetera, et cetera, recently. But throughout the film, she wears a long... It's set in the 20s, so it's it's historical, you know, Joseon era. She wears the classic clothes, but at the back there's a split and she never wears any underwear. So you constantly see her walking about with her butt hanging out and comments are made that she can't keep stop moving her butt when she's walking. You know, people give her rice in return for her sexual favors. And one guy's shown going in, stealing rice from her as she lies on a bed with her bottom on full view, steals rice, goes out the back door, goes, knocks on the front door, gives her back the rice so they can have sex with her. It's, I mean, it in terms of storyline, it's really funny. It's very engaging and it's a lot more sexually explicit than Madame Ama but it wouldn't exist if Madame Ema hadn't been made. And going back to that, I mean, it wasn't done with just one movie. Apparently, there was stuff to explore with Madame Ema. It didn't spark one sequel. It didn't spark two. <laughs> uh, they didn't stop at five. They stopped at around about ten. There's uh, eleven of them, I think. <laughs> Which, I mean... Is it part of a larger story, or is it just like new characters using the same sort of a theme that or that established is established here, or is it completely unrelated? So, like it's just sort of movies made under one banner kind of thing. So, what's the deal there? It's half and half. If you look at Madame Emma, Madame Emma Two, Madame Emma Three, they're all made by the same director. They all feature the same characters and the stories move on. And then it moves to another director who happens to choose same character names, different actresses, obviously, and different stories, different setups. And it goes in stages. So you get two movies that are the same characters. Then it switches and they'll get a couple of movies there of the same characters and their story. And very much like Emmanuel, where you've got, sort of similar characters that you could link back to being copies of the other ones but aren't actually the same but they'll run for a couple and then not and then run for a couple it doesn't sound like oversaturation therefore since they mix it up uh... I, I think for the the fact that emmanuel's constantly mentioned if you think of the number of emmanuel's that were made they were constantly popular in Korea and I think it was the same thing they just kept making them as a series because well if Emmanuel can do it we can do it and they were you know decently popular as they went along um even even Mulberry had a similar thing it certainly didn't have 10 but there's Mulberry 2 and Mulberry 3 so it it was a thing that they they liked to do with their eroticism just to carry it on into a little series because hey if it's not broke let's make more and get more money. Do you know when the last one was made? I think it was 95. Again, they went in stages there. The two and three were sort of two years after the original. Then there was a break of about five years. Then there's two made in a year, then a couple of years, and and then another couple. And it goes over like that. And I think the last one was 95. And if you you consider the film that we're going to be talking about in the, the next part of of what's Korean cinema that came out in 99, you can sort of see why it was dying a death at that point that we're moving to a completely different setup. 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly familiar with uh, oversaturation in my sort of cinematic fandom. Uh, Hong Kong is good at it, just squeezing out. Uh, like when horror hit, they started making this, like, three stores in one type of movies, just left and right. The Troublesome Night series went out to, I think, 20 movies. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but but uh, after a while, they started shooting them on a video just to save cost. And, uh, like, the original crew, that's now a name crew, uh, and cost they they were long gone by that point, so it just uh, started to become lesser and lesser. Uh, but let's move on a little bit to some notes on the director of Madamema, Jong In Job, a veteran of over forty films as director. With um, you know people often quoting and tracking back to Madamema, but uh, Jong started out as staff on famed director Kim Ki Young's films, but uh, would graduate to director in the mid sixties. Giving us movies like The Shadow of the Sun and The Angry Heroes. And uh, the 1970s was his most productive decades with uh, 20 plus films uh, being made. And eventually, being uh, he was the man uh, behind at least three of the Madame Ema films. Uh, with any director who works so many decades, multiple decades, I mean, do you know, either having watched the movies or read up on him, that does each decade like show a different artist with different goals and themes and, or, that, or, or that kind of thing? It's a very, very strange thing. I've thought a lot about this since we, since we decided to do these movies because it, it, we've already mentioned Kim Ki Young, um, who was massive in the golden age and was obsessed with his despicable women thing. And considering the fact that our director here actually worked with him and started with him, when he started out, his films were completely different. They were very much against the, the social problems of career, you know, uh, an honest businessman wants to have an honest business, but gangs stop him, et cetera, et cetera. Or an honest businessman starts a business that doesn't do very well, so he loses the will to live and tries to commit suicide and only love saves him. They weren't sexual at all. Come the 70s, he started to switch in. Just, I think, 1969, he did a film called Wild Girls about a group of women, normal women who travel across the country looking for love and sexual liaisons. And that was his first hit into the eroticism. And it wasn't that erotic. It was more the idea behind it. But it was a huge shift for him. And from then on, right through the 70s, not that you can see any of his films in the 70s because they just don't exist anymore, but he carried on through that whole women, 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 women's sexuality, through into the 80s with the Madamema, you know, a silence of the body, a time of temptation. They were all about women finding themselves and finding sexuality. He started very standard social and then just discovered, I guess, he discovered sex. You know, what stands out, even if the films are lost, like what what other movies and content like does critics and writers uh, come back to when discussing Jong or is it this very thing this examination of women uh, that that they come back to it very much is that examination of women but everything you read about him everything you'll find that you can see of his I just immediately say wild girls the silence of the body and time of temptation those are the three big things all lost no no all still available in various places you're not going to find them on dvd because they were just never brought out but they are online on certain legitimate sites with kofa at all not with kofa i'm afraid not yet not yet but 
who knows? I mean, I d I'm not even sure. I think there's only Matamema on there. I don't think there's Matamema too. I'm, I I couldn't swear to that. But um, hopefully, as they progress, as they add more and more stuff, as they are increasingly doing, they'll hopefully bring up you know Silence of the Body and Time of Temptation. Really, really should be seen. Not a bad movie to have available, of course, uh, Matamema. It's uh, because it apparently says a lot about the track record and the focus that the jong um, employed uh, as director so so let's move over to the film then and for my quick opinion it's uh, it, it's more of an interesting dramatic journey than a true home run it's it still engages you in terms of that uh, journey that very mature female journey we we desperately want Emma to take a particular path but she's unable to and that is interesting it's i've seen it before but it uh, remained interesting and also frustrating but that means viewer engagement like i was sort of like god damn it woman make a good choice like i want you to be happy some melodramatic acting i couldn't connect to but that's maybe an unavoidable cultural barrier it's just one of those things that a little bit too big on, big on the acting choices there dear so take it back but uh, overall quite fair to quite engaging um so that's my semi short opinion what do you want to say uh, in short uh, about uh, your like or dislike for melamema i pretty much agree with you in terms of story you could we have summed it up in one sentence it, there's not a great story here this is important because if you're interested in the move towards from classic Korean cinema to modern Korean cinema, this plays a part and you need to see this to see this step. And then you need to go and watch Mulberry, which is a phenomenal little movie. Um, Maramema is important. I think there are very interesting sections in it. There, There's references to lesbianism. There's was that uh, was that um, totally um, rare uh, depiction of le- lesbianism? Uh, you know, explicit or not? Uh, by the way, as far as I'm aware, and, uh, and obviously, as I say, the '70s films, you just you can't find them. So I could be wrong, but I doubt it. Um, that scene, the push towards the sort of lesbian idea, I'd never seen it before in Korean cinema. I'd almost forgotten it until I rewatched it, and. You, I got the shock again. I was like, wow, did they do that? So, you know, it's vitally important. It's enjoyable enough. It is very melodramatic. It is overly acted. It's very, it's very golden age acting. But watch it just to know where you're coming from and then go and watch Mulberry. Let's, uh, it's, it's quite amazing that we, we, not amazing, but I like that we are quite in sync. You and I have similar tastes in, uh, like, acting choices and what, uh, yeah, yeah. what, what makes, like, melodrama good or bad and stuff like that. Uh, not that I can't have a discussion with someone, who, you know, with a different viewpoint, but I always think that's, you know, that's rather nice. It's because, it's because we're right. <laughs> no, not, no, not gonna go there. Not gonna go there. We're not, we're not preaching opinions here. No, of course, of course not. I just, like you, the the more stuff you watch, the more the things that were different back in the day sort of stand out. I think that's what it comes down to. Totally. And uh, that opening scene with uh, over the credits, under the credits, with uh, you know wind lighting up, uh, gorgeous actress uh, uh, Ansu Young, was it? Yeah, Ansu Young. Uh, with her, you know, very eighties, um, you know, uh, curly hair, but she looks gorgeous, and she she's shot in a very, um, you know, it looks like a fashion shoot. But I really like that look. It comes from 
someone who has a little bit of artistic merit in terms of how to shoot women reminded me a lot of um this is a way way different filmmaker but uh, there's a hong kong filmmaker called ho fun director of erotica and comedies formerly a photographer and actor and he always shot women very well and this looked like one of his uh sort of both openings and the look of some of his sex scenes too and uh, I also appreciate this look still and it, it's it's quite, uh, it's not like turn on the camera and get the wind machine going and we'll have uh, you know, we'll have beauty on screen it's not that simple, you know what I mean and uh, so I, I appreciate that artistic merit and I also really appreciate, you know, going back to, to us us again, that the way you program these episodes, uh, you know, sometimes I pick a movie, but most of you program and bring out the older movies. Uh, I really like going into movies with no preconceived notions and even like I don't know a view of the movie from scanning Facebook and forums and stuff like that. So it's always nice to go into something with zero percent preconceived notions and you know let the story sweep uh, you know w- w- wash over you and um so 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 yeah it's one of the perks i think of this show to go in blank uh, going with a blank slate that, that's really nice to hear i mean from my point of view when i've been coming up with things you know i tear my hair out and and from when we agree on stuff to the point where you, you sit down and watch it you know, I will be sitting at home thinking, what if, what if he hates it? What's, what if he thinks it's rubbish? I bet that was the case when you, uh, when we were going to do Sopionja. Like, oh my God, he must like it, otherwise my life will be in shambles. Totally, totally. <laughs> All I can hope is for you and for everybody listening is that you can see why we chose them, why they're important, and why no matter how good or average or great they are, they're important and one hopefully leads to the other that's the plan anyway indeed i will highlight uh, every now and again here what 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 sort of the flags were in terms of like oh my god you got an uphill battle here a movie but uh, again it's clearly shot by someone appreciating rather can create glossy imagery and sensualism and not cheap such. Uh, clearly Jong takes the time to set up shots needed for the erotic uh, scenes. And in a way we've seen all this before, but in even in music videos in the West or whatever, this type of cinematography style. But the, the effort is clearly there and uh, that's just sort of the opening credits really because the story is more rooted rather than glossy. Uh, and uh, there's a, a lot of... Um, not a lot of, but there, there's interesting paths into the story where you find out Ama is this sort of abandoned woman, I guess. She's in this yeah. marriage where the husband is rarely at home, always on business, and always, as horrible as that might sound, totally upfront with the fact that, well, it's business, so I gotta sleep with women. Yeah. Which is... Um, comedic the way it comes out just really dude really dude but she is as melodramatic and and sort of uh, cheesy as this might sound but she is a woman that's longing for touch and that's an enough interesting path into the story you know what i mean i've seen i've seen those stories go way bad more way bad places you know and uh with a lack of quality but i think that story in general of her looking for you know the touch whether rational or irrational that sort of key yeah. key thing for the whole movie if you strip away them some of the melodramatic acting choices i think that is still a solid part of uh, the drama that uh, 
is also uh, means it's a fairly dark drama because she has been in a 10-year cycle. And to break that, you just don't break that easily. And so I think that still survives, that uh, impact of that drama. Or what do you think? Totally agree. And there's there's one scene in the early stages where she's having an argument with her husband and she says, you know, you go away on business and you sleep with women. He says, you know, it's part of the deal. And she just turns around and very melodramatically says, if you can do it, why can't I? And that, for me, sums up Madame Ema. That sort of sums up the erotic Korean cinema of the 80s. You know, if it's all right for you as a man, why isn't it all right for me? And it's sort of, from my point of view, hit with the changing face of women in society. And I know I'm obsessed with this, and I know I talk about it all the time, but it's a huge thing. You know, the, the women going to see these films were actually seeing women that were saying the things that they wanted to say. Why is it different for you as a man? Why can't we be autonomous? Why can't we be individuals? Why can't we have what we want? And it's a big thing to say, but I think that one line is a huge part of why films like this and Mulberry became so popular. You know, that's a superbly mature stance to take, and it is very solid as made, but some of the paths into that contain some very theatrical acting you know where she you know you, you know bless her she's very good in the movie but she, the, you know at some point she's clinging onto like a shelf or something like why yeah. why won't you do it and it's sort of like oh, okay it might be of the time but i still don't really appreciate that sort of uh I was just waiting for her to sort of like go from one side of the widescreen frame to the to the other and sort of rush herself back and forth. Why? Why? I'm in agony. You know, it, it doesn't cause hurt for the movie, but um, th- those acting choices are, to, in my eyes, are sort of uh, comedic uh, by this point. You know, and I think that was a deliberate thing because, as I say, if you, I keep going back to Mulberry, but the difference in the acting style is so huge that you'd think it was from a different decade and it was only a couple of years later. You know, it was only, I think it was 1984. And it's it's Korean cinema acting as you would recognize it from watching whatever, watching, you know, Old Boy and all the rest. The, the difference is so humongous that this sort of feels golden age. It feels, you know, very overstretched, overpushed. And I think... It's important that we see it as that, even if we do sit and sort of go, oh, my God. There's there's one other thing just before I forget. If you look through past all the hair shampoo bits that work really well, the horse bits, there's a repeated focus through the movie on the main actress's knees a couple of two, three, maybe even four times the camera actually focuses on her knees as they're slightly apart but you can't see and you just see her knees and her thighs and about four years later a film that took exactly that and made it into a movie which is probably one of the funniest erotic movies i've ever seen called between the knees or knee to (laughs) knee to knee and i will guarantee you the director took it from madame ama and took those scenes and said was it that uh was it that kim kiong that between the knees no, it's not. I can't actually remember. Didn't he do another title that really like was so upfront? Where it's like, boom, 
like yeah, sex spread. <laughs> you know, he he had a tight, he had a funny title, and I had a chuckle at uh, Kim Ki Young uh, when we were discussing his uh, career. But uh, whatever. I'm I'm trying to think what that is, but you, you're probably right. But this was a, a different guy. I can't even remember his name to be honest with you. He's one of those sort of one hit wonders. But between the knees or knee to knee, as it's called on the Coffee Channel, is available to watch. And you know, if you like Michael Jackson, if you like eighties music, if you like ladies stepping forward and grabbing hold of bedposts that are phallically symboled, um, <laughs> then check out Knee to Knee. But once you pause that, like, part cheesy acting uh, acting style, there is that, you know, big event of the husband uh, getting thrown in jail. He punches someone in a restaurant. And uh, then that intriguing thread of, you know, she stay. She she doesn't divorce her husband. You know, she does. You know, she has affairs. Yes, but she doesn't divorce her husband. She feels connected to him. She feels she wants to hold on to him. And you wonder to yourself, what's there to hold on to? Like nothing was good. And is she just going to be vindictive for two hours? And that I think remains the strongest sort of through line in the movie. And yeah, it, yeah. Uh, we we won't spoil what happens at the end, but. That, I think, was the bit I liked the most, where that she is very unable to make what we see as the obvious choice, but we're not in her stuck-in-a-ten-year cycle head or anything. And uh, I, I, I think that remains the most effective, mature part that doesn't scream 80s melodramatic acting or any era-specific yeah. thing. It's all, that, that, that's sort of the immortal dramatic choice, if you will. And and I have to say, you know, I'm I, I'm glad to hear you say that was that that's the bit that stuck with you most because I'll guarantee you that is the part that the powers that be sort of rubbed their hands and thought, yeah, we're there, this is good because it sort of sums up what they were trying to say anyway. Speaking of more style, I like that there's a little time cuts here that just flash forward a lot, which is a challenging choice, but we still are on board with it because we don't have any uh, trial scene, for instance, of the the man. Uh, the husband punches out this guy in the restaurant, which actually would dissolve, or rather, like the the screen filling up with red mm. during that moment. That's yeah, just yeah. that that's just super silly, by the way. <laughs> and then he he sort of goes slightly blue. We're gonna paint on screen here, like blood was shed. But boom! I like the time cuts to like three years later. She's visiting him in prison because he, he is not on a life sentence, but a, a long sentence. Maybe the movie takes place over 10 years, who knows? Can I, ju- can I just say, eight years for smacking somebody in a bar? Wasn't it like um, hinted at that he maybe died from the fall or it was simply a, like a little brawl? He may well have done, but when he was lying on the floor, he didn't look all that. Like the red on the screen. Really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, but there, there you go, anyway. But they, so that is sort of tr- trigger for her to travel all over the place in a very rational way, very irrational way, very controlled way, it seems, and very out of control way, it seems. And we get the sort of plant of uh, creative man enjoying uh, seeing her for the first time, you know, the man who makes pottery and their evolving friendship. Uh, they're, they're a bit um, different in age, let's say maybe 15 years age apart. He's fairly young and she's maybe in her. Mid thirties or late thirties as a character, and that is obviously a key relationship for the movie. Where, where that is where my frustration, you know, grew out of because mm-hmm. they clearly get on, but there is that very unsaid 
thing because she never says like i can't make a choice she never does say that it's that very non-verbal thing of the choice is clear but like the security seems clear anyway or maybe he's too young who knows you know to have the dips into that friendship every now and again and seeing like the light side of the movie the very uh, nice side of the movie where they get on and his um creativity being uh at the forefront you know he talks of that he enjoys the process of completion and that's something a creative person does you know they they like to complete and then start again and complete and then start again that's a very wonderful process that's a through line i think is also very affecting because um they are good together and it's nice to see them smile to each other back and forth and uh, in their maybe five or six scenes together in the movie because it's not um constant it takes place on the train first then maybe a few years pass and and so forth and so forth so uh what do you want to say about that uh that uh, dual uh dual uh relationship and acting i think that was again very ahead of its time i mean if 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 you haven't watched that many korean relationship movies over the years you sort of think he's young she's slightly older yeah that whatever um but if you look at the next film that we're going to talk about young young girl older man right through the films in the 2000 and whatever like green chair where you've got a young man an older woman it's a it's a huge thing and it's a it's become more controversial over the years i mean green chair was seen as controversial because of their age difference which seems to have been less of an issue here yeah yeah it's very sweetly made it doesn't seem like uh, a very racy thing of them being years apart or whatever because i think i mean in today's day and age 10 or 15 years is not that much to be honest like it's very modern in a way to have age difference and what have you but uh, i I never thought of it as oh my god this must have been controversial it just never felt like a big deal as made in this movie Totally. And only from my point of view on rewatching it and remembering how different they were in age did it hit me. And it was like, that that's actually quite ahead of its time because that's going to be a problem later on. So I'm assuming, and this is just off the top of my head, that at that time it wasn't seen as a problem. It was just when it started to happen in reality, maybe, or certainly happened more and more in films that suddenly it was, oh, that's controversial. It's it's a very interesting thing. One of the things I found confusing, because yes, it does time cuts, and all of a sudden I felt like we're suddenly introduced to one of her you know lovers that she's pursued throughout uh, you know pursued at some point in the movie another married man which you know plays its part is supposed to be there because she is not on this journey where every lover she hits up is the greatest choice you know for her character but i found it confusing like the somewhat older married man that she's with that certainly doesn't treat her well or anything it's just he's just using her for sex it looks like that was confusing, also hella funny, because at one point that man uses a rope ladder to go from one one uh, like story in the hotel or apartment building down to her story below, slips in to have sex, then climbs out the rope ladder again, and then he, his wife comes out. What were you doing? Oh, I was just out, out for a little bit. <laughs> yeah, it's a lo- lovely, lovely breeze this morning. Yeah. I- I I just couldn't get over the fact that, you know, he gets the rope ladder, he goes down into the room, you know, he starts touching and kissing her she wakes up and rather than saying what the f- are you doing here she's just like oh 
It's 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 insane. I don't think it was meant to be sort of silly, and I I think that caused some confusion in terms of like I'm okay. I get the gist of that character, but I'm not sure there was any build up to her meeting him, and it seemed like oh my god, there's some promise here, but then it turns sour. It just sort of it happened, or I wasn't paying attention because I was thinking about the horse dream. I really I I think you should be thinking about the horse dream. By the by, but I I honestly think it was set up with the other romance as the main thing and he's just put that in to say she's had other affairs and this is one of the guys and look he's not really the best etc etc and it was it was almost thrown in that's what it felt like to me yeah it did and um i guess it makes sense structurally that there there's potential good lovers to pursue and there's the very much potentially bad ones and this represents a bad one but um you know go- going back to the horse dream which uh, is you know lovingly shot it's a dream sequence and there, there, there's a couple of dream sequences in the movie that are quite well done and deceptive in their in their way uh, for instance there's a scene in a bar where it seems like she has you know instant bar sex with someone who just came up with her and that's a dream sequence as far as i could get i could see I- i'm not gonna try here and be serious and all of all of this you know interpreting the horse dream because it was sort of it it felt a little bit silly, and I guess it's one of those things like she's she's feeling subconsciously while she's sleeping because she's longing for any touch, and it just happens subconsciously to be a horse. <laughs> yeah, I mean there there are so many things you could read into that and and say you know. Mm. It's not like she wants to have sex with the horse. It's just sort of that feel of it between her legs. To be a little bit rude, but um, well, you've you've sort of you've summed you've summed it up, and there is an actual framing of sorts of pushing that. Um, and I think it, I think it works. I, I think it's cheesy. I think it's silly. It, but it, it made me giggle. I, I look back at it fondly. I have to say, because it's just so out of the park really. And she's just dreaming of, of a touch a bodily touch, shall we say. Yeah. I mean, uh, dreams like the acupuncture scene type of dream, That I guess that makes sense a little bit. It's set in this like, stylized uh, setting with uh, like red veils and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, it was a dream, wasn't it? Uh, you know, yes, the acupuncture it, I, thing. Because, I, think, I think it was, yeah. Because no like acupuncture clinic looks like that. You know? No, totally. <laughs> so those things happen and they're lovingly shot, but not necessarily the... Uh, the affecting part of the movie more more of like well that was that was that was a giggle and a half wasn't it well back to the movie back to the serious stuff where she uh you know the serious stuff where she falls into a pattern again you know waiting around for men now which is what she does with the with the older man she has uh, this affair with and uh you know the interest continues therefore up until the end for me like that looks like she's too broken and too damaged to make a rational choice because me saying that means I care, and that's a good sign. I wanted, uh, n- you know, n- not that I'm against like dark endings or cynical endings. I, I can get on board with that, but I wanted her yeah. to m- make a good choice in terms of what path to go on. You know, make it a little bit better at least uh, for herself. And uh, I think that says so much about the film: the fact that you cared about the characters. Cause so did I, and. You know, there are a lot of flaws, a lot of steps back to older melodramatic Korean cinema. And the fact that you can still care about that character, I think that says a lot. 
she's still around, uh, right? Because she 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 didn't look that old uh, in 1982. And so, she's still around. I haven't heard of her for absolutely years. I assume she went off and did the getting married and leaving the film industry thing. But what she's she's probably about 60, 65 now. He said, having tried to work it out last night. So dear, so this wasn't career suicide necessarily appearing in this type of movie at that point. Certainly not. I mean, it's it's popularity. Simply, it was another film for for actresses for actors it it wasn't seen as as controversial as it seems to be in hindsight you know it was just popular it was it fitted with 80s hollywood trash am i allowed to say that mm. of course of course you can say whatever you like yeah, as long as you don't preach that this is trash believe like follow my word <laughs> you know listeners <laughs> no totally totally uh i think the strongest and confidence cinema is towards the back end, like the last 20-30 minutes where we get this uh, key sequence between uh, between her and uh, the, the pottery man, Dong-Yub is uh, how he's referred to in the subtitles on uh, the Kofa version, because uh, you got this wonderful village setting. I, I never really understood why she all of a sudden was doing manual labor in a village setting. There, There's a very good question. Because it's a smash cut too, like, whoa! Here we are now. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, carrying two pails of water, spilling them, you know. I don't know if it's an, uh, like, like an, uh, we're supposed to fill in the gaps ourselves, but I think that's a bit too, asking a bit too much out of us. But it's still, like, they're enjoyable, essentially, final sequence together or final stretch of film together. I really enjoyed there's some wonderful cinematography here. Um, you know, as big as it sounds, it's, you know, it takes place in, a lightning storm, one of their big passionate scenes, and uh, you know, spoilers a little bit, but they they have a love making scene, right? But it's very unclear because it all takes place with a camera that seems to be looking into the hut, and uh, lightning is going on on and off all the time. So you see flashes of it, but I think it's wonderfully shot. I think it's. I think, uh, I think that's. I think that's absolutely beautiful, and you know, I can. It's like their moment, and uh, it's yes, it's cinema. We're supposed to see stuff, but I think it's. He argues, John, that it's their moment, their moment of passion, and the flashes of it. We will understand enough of that passion. And I think that still works to this day. I mean, I I was after I rewatched that, I was trying to think. There's there's some U.S. TV show that I watched not that long ago that had a similar sort of thing and it it worked for me in it as well it's that sort of you know dark and then a little flash and you can just see the passion on her face and then it it disappears again it just works and you know considering this was 82 he's done all right there yeah very much so so i think that's uh like the best sequence of the movie visually but uh, i um you know we're not gonna spoil the ending or anything but so i'll I'll just uh end my notes right there and uh Paul, I think, said it uh, said it the best that it's it's certainly not a perfect film, but it means a lot for what would come and for uh, commercialism in uh, Korean cinema. So, uh, so I mean, it's certainly not a movie to skip if you're interested in this pattern of cinema. Uh, so, uh, like, do a double bill with Mulberry. Who knows? Totally, totally. You know, sit down. You know, they're only a couple of hours. Heavens, people watch endless episodes of the wire back to back for 24 hours you can cope with <laughs> you can cope with two or three movies in a row sit down enjoy madame Ema for what it is then go and watch mulberry and between the knees and you'll start to get a feeling of the step forward of korean cinema from 
from the old days to the current days. And uh, on that note, uh, do you have any other notes you want to share with us? I'm pretty much there. You know, Matamema is massively important, flawed though it is. Don't jump over it. Bear with it and, you know, look for that scene with the, the horse. Yep, it's uh, unavoidable. Uh, you, it's not blink and you'll miss it. Definitely not. <laughs> and as for availability, you can watch it for free on the Korean Film Archive's official YouTube channel. It probably was on a DVD or a VOD site prior. Um, it usually is that way. Yeah. Uh, but regardless, it's widescreen, it's subtitled, and uh, we'll link directly to it. It's referred to as the Ama woman on their channel, not Madame Ama. So... Uh, it's uh, so we'll link directly to it if you have trouble finding it. And for those of you who've had trouble playing movies from their channel on external applications such as the PlayStation 3, more recent uploads, including this one, now you, you can finally view it on the PlayStation 3. Uh, older uploads, for whatever reason, couldn't be viewed on the PlayStation 3. I think it's have to, it's due to a particular encode, it might be due to a choice from Kofa themselves to not have it uh, if you encode it a certain way it can also be ripped so they don't want to do that apparently but regardless you can finally watch it on external applications and it that helps me because I'm, I'm making uh, notes on my computer while I'm watching stuff so uh, and, uh, and and I checked some of the recent uploads and they are also viewable on the PS3 app and there's always uh, there's also a uh, one recent upload that appears in full 1080p HD. So Kofa are trying out uh, better quality, um, uh, better quality uh, sources uh, and uh, encoding. And this was an older movie too. It was not uh, like a 2000 movie or anything. It was from 1975. I think that's a very, very positive step. You know, I, I actually almost jumped for joy when you when we talked about this the other night and you said there was an HD movie on there that I hadn't noticed had been put up you know it's a big step forward i think they're learning as they go as to what they can put on and you know what people have technology wise to allow them to watch decent 1080 stuff indeed indeed it looked uh, i mean that that's the nature of the korean film archive that films are going to be viewable in a good uh, quality format and some of the stuff you know standard definition is fine some of the stuff looks a little bit fuzzy so even mm. sort of less than standard definition but uh, we've always encountered good uh, good uh, viewing sources and all of that and if it's a good movie you sometimes you don't need hd if you you get into it regardless but uh, it's uh, it's uh, evolving which is nice next time uh, well if people if you think madame ama is an erotic explicit time you ain't seen nothing yet. <laughs> Cut to 1999's lies, and let's just uh, that—that's what you have to say. Say to yourself, like, prepare for uh, an elevation of say uh, and an ex, you know a sexually explicit time. You know, uh, and that's just scratching the surface of what goes on in Jang Sun Woo's drama that uh, created a little bit of ruckus in 1999. Yes. You'll hear all about it next week as Paul turns his notes and uh, prepare to unload uh, the, like the facts about the controversy that surrounded lies and even its uh, novel a few years earlier. So um, that's uh, that's uh, the tease for next week's episode of What's Korean Cinema. But in the meantime, 
We'll do contact information again. And this has been What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. Our website is podcastonfire.com. Make a choice over there if you want to hear our Hong Kong cinema show or our Japanese cinema show or our category-free Hong Kong cinema show, Sleazy Movies. Uh, and you can also check out our bonus episodes. Uh, email us if you have any feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com or even questions. We would love to hear from you. Follow the links uh, via the handy buttons at the top of our page to our social media such as Facebook, Twitter, they also go to our iTunes feed and also our Stitcher radio presence where you can stream our shows and you can also do that via the applications on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And I write about uh, Hong Kong movies and Taiwanese movies and a variety of genres within them on SoGoodReviews.com and my video hub where I post select video reviews of my work is SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And finally, you have uh, you have a plug for your site, so take it away. Hangelcelluloid.com. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Hangelcelluloid. I'm on Twitter at, at Hangelcelluloid. And just for any of you who have listened to this and are either about to watch the film or have seen them, if you nip over to Hangelcelluloid, go to the top banner links. And if you click on Essays, there's an actual essay uh, that came from a lecture I gave at university a couple of years ago that talks about the emergence of adult content in Korean cinema right from the 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s to now. There's a lot of talk about Madame Ema, Mulberry, etc., etc. And it sort of hopefully would stand as a companion piece to this because it gives all the details of the censorship, relaxation, etc., etc. So if you're interested, go and have a click on that separately. Um, hopefully, work allowing, there'll be a review of Mulberry on the site in the next couple of days. Excellent, excellent. And we'll link it directly to the essay as well. So uh, good recommendation. But in the meantime, we are signing off for this episode, so see you next week for Lies. And uh, I've been Kenny B, and with me was Paul Quinn of Hangul Celluloid. So say goodbye, buddy. Goodbye, people. See ya. <laughs> Yeah.